Kia ora. Welcome to the Radio New Zealand Coronavirus Podcast. My name is Liz and I'm a psychologist working at Starship Hospital with inpatients and also at the Child Development Service. I'm looking forward to the changes to level two when I can see my three adult children who are living away from home. And just a reminder to William Ray that he better remember his mother's birthday this weekend. Kia ora Liz, it's lovely to hear from you. I'm sure if our producer William had forgotten, he'll definitely be remembering now. I'm Indira Stewart, welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. Later this episode, we're talking to Yadna Soar from RNZ's Music 101 program. Now she'll tell us how musicians have dealt with the lockdown and what COVID-19 means for the future of live music. But first, here are the headlines. For the third time since this outbreak began, we've registered zero new cases in New Zealand. We now have 1,398 people who are reported as having recovered from COVID-19. This is an increase of 12 on yesterday, and 93% of our cases are now considered recovered. There are also no additional deaths to report today, and we still have the 16 significant clusters, four of which are now closed, and a number of which have not had any cases uh, between 14 and 28 days, so they are on their way to being closed off as well. The government has announced it will spend an extra $4 billion on healthcare over the next four years, including a $282.5 million one-off injection to catch up with elective surgeries which had been delayed by COVID-19. Health Minister David Clark spoke to Marnie Dunlop on RNZ's Midday Report. This amount that we're putting in now is the biggest uplift in uh, the entire history uh, of the DHB system. Um, It's a 9.3% increase. It won't fix uh, the structural challenge with deficits uh, in its entirety. Uh, That's been building since 2013. Our first priority is making sure New Zealanders get the services that they need and deserve. Some of the country's hospitals, as we know, have become quite run down over the years. Now, how much of that fund is for capital expenditure, for example? That that, um, nearly $4 billion is uh, primarily focused on service delivery. Uh, There is separate uh, money for capital that's in our budgets, and we've again spent um, record amounts in the last two budgets on capital expenditure in our DHB system, recognising that we've got a big job ahead of us to upgrade our building stock. So this announcement doesn't include that? No, this announcement is about the the operating funding uh, required just to do the surgeries, to meet the patients um, and to keep our hospital system running. Also money from that that goes through to the community-provided services like um, home support services, pharmacy, aged care, mental health services, uh, Māori provider contracts, um, community labs, that kind of thing. They also all come out of the DHB budgets. Just on that uh, note on Māori health providers, I've been speaking to some of them and there are concerns that this money being pumped into DHBs won't trickle down to them because a lot of the DHBs don't have an equity or Māori strategy in place of how their funding is distributed. What is your response to that? Well, that, that's a situation has really changed. Um, Equity is central to my particular focus as Health Minister and to the government's focus. Our DHBs are now required uh, to report on how they're improving equity for their populations. That's actually really uh, upfront and central to what they have to do. Historically, it's true, they have not uh, delivered equity well. And so the expectations around that have changed. I've appointed 
uh, four Māori board chairs out of 20. There were none before. Uh, the majority of the appointments I get to make as minister have been Māori appointments. I want to see change in that area. I want to see greater equity of outcome for our population. Now, healthcare hasn't been the only thing on the minds of many in te ao Māori. The government's decision not to exclude tangihanga from the 10-person limit on social gatherings under Level 2 has left many Māori deeply unhappy. Here's how RNZ's Māori Issues correspondent Lee Marama McLaughlin explained things on Midday Report. I spoke to a wahine in Auckland this morning, Mani, who has lost three uncles over the past few weeks. The most recent death was yesterday and the Wano had hoped that the announcement for Level 2 would mean that they could finally have at least one proper tangi for one of the uncles who they'd lost and they gutted that that can't happen. I've also heard about Wano who have um, lost loved ones over the past few weeks and they have kept their two papaku in the morgues in the hope that um, very shortly they could hold proper tangi for them and now that can't happen. It's a very sensitive issue and people, people are very upset about it. And why do you think the response has been so strong for Te Ao Māori? Ultimately, people think it's very unfair. Some of the people that I've been talking to have said that they can hold tangi with much greater numbers in a safe way. Uh, there's also a sense that people are getting mixed messages and that um, the government had earlier indicated a limit of up to 100 people for tangi, but in the end it went with 10 people. And some say that that's a double standard. You know, you've got schools going back, malls reopening, restaurants can all host greater numbers at level two. And what they're telling me is that this is a sign that the government can't trust them to, to hold a safe tangi, to observe social distancing, to have those safety protocols in place during the tangi process. And, and that lack of trust means they can't have these tangi and, and it's, it's gutting them. But Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and Director General of Health Ashley Bloomfield are both insisting that the restrictions are necessary. I have always said through all of this that the thing that I have found as a human, the hardest in all of this has been funerals and tangihana. Um, I've known people who have lost very close family members and I can't imagine trying to grieve um, through a global pandemic for a loved one without being able to be together with others. But the one thing I also know is that Funerals in Tangi are a place where you want to comfort people. It is your natural instinct. That's why we come together. And the idea that we would force people to not be able to comfort one another, to support one another, is equally a very, very hard thing to comprehend. decision for themselves. Equally, we're doing the same for every area where these are natural life events. We've made the same hard call for weddings, funerals, any gathering of note. You know, I spoke to someone last week who turned 100 and had no gathering. The, this is across the board. Is it possible for multiple groups to pay their respects as long as there's only 10 people there at any given time? Yeah, so if, if we have 10 people sticking with 10 groups of 10, then that would be within the, room, uh, within the rules. What we don't want is them all then to come together at a conclusion. So a large wake or a large gathering afterwards. But that answer isn't good enough for the National Party leader Simon Bridges. That's not just not kind. It's inhumane, and I think we can do better than that. Mr Bridges says his party will consider voting against legislation enabling this shift to Level 2 if the rules on funerals and tangi aren't relaxed.
We're talking to the government. I can only but repeat, we've called for this. We, we want to see these greater freedoms, but there are very serious concerns, and I certainly wouldn't rule us out us voting against this bill. Now it's my pleasure to introduce RNZ's Yadna Saw. Yadna is the host of RNZ's Music 101 programme, and she's been asking around to see how musicians are coping with the lockdown and how COVID-19 might affect the future of live performance. I, for one, have missed uh, sport and music, but they also are the things that tend to draw crowds. And right now, a crowd is a no-no. Tell me about the impacts of COVID-19 on the music industry at the moment. With music, the community's been getting quite creative. There's been more creative remixes. There's been some local releases where groups of musicians have got together and put together compilations. Bands that have elected to stay in a bubble together over this time. Nowadays, the technology is so easy that you can record either remotely or you can record at home. I guess as an audience as well, we're being a little bit more forgiving at this time. So if the audio isn't perfect or the pictures aren't perfect, it's okay as long as we can connect in some way by sharing conversations or music. A lot of DJs have been taken to doing live sets and streaming them over YouTube or Instagram or Twitch, which is another sort of video platform that's mostly been used by gamers. And that's just been such a great way of creating a crowd because people are um, sending messages on the live chat and you just get to enjoy someone putting together music lives. Um, a lot of international and local artists have been doing, uh, have been live streaming their gigs, again, on a variety of, of platforms. Sometimes the audio isn't perfect or, you know, you've got some very domestic-looking scene in the background. And maybe some of the challenges for some artists have been not to have that in-person response from from a crowd because they're having to just look into their computer camera or their phone (laughs) camera. The artists have let their guard down a little bit because their audience is in their home with them and, you know, the barriers have come down a little bit. There was one particular stream I was watching of James Blake, a UK multi-instrumentalist producer, and he's like, this is the first time I've done it. I don't know how to use Instagram Lives. You know, his girlfriend and his bubble with him and his flatmate are trying to help him work the technology. So those little moments of authenticity and reality have been helping people to connect. The difference when you have a live gig or live performance is bands and musicians really feed off the energy of the crowd that's there. And that's really changed with technology, with everyone being so remote now. Absolutely. And also, let's not forget that touring and live gigs are artists' livelihood. You know, as music has increasingly been consumed on streaming platforms, um, be it places like Spotify or Tidal or Bandcamp or um, YouTube especially. You know, YouTube's one of the biggest um, platforms that we uh, listen or watch music on. That's not giving, that's not money in the pockets of the artists. So the touring and the merchandise and the live gigs are how they make their livelihood and certainly under this time of a COVID-19 pandemic, that is not happening. So um, as much as you're talking about that um, that vibe or that intimacy, 
of um, having people in a physical space, I think there's also some practical realities of how do you keep food on your table and pay your rent. We've seen with some of these live streaming artists, some of them are asking for donations or some kind of support during the live stream. Do you think perhaps that we'll see more of that in the months to come? We will see more virtual gigs as we come down the levels. I suppose that's going to allow artists to have a fancier backdrop, multi-camera angles, so the audience gets value in terms of the visuals that they're seeing. Here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, I don't think we're going to see uh, international acts for quite some time. So that's going to be the way that we will be seeing international artists. For local musicians, there's going to be some interesting things happening really soon. We might see more intimate gigs. We might see more seated concerts. And we might see concerts and live performances taking place in different spaces than the venues where accustomed to so you know I hate to use the term number eight fencing wire but I think we're going to see some some of that happening there's a boutique label in Christchurch called Melted Ice Cream and they hosted a music festival online over the Easter period but we'll we'll see not only um, creativity happening on the virtual space but we'll certainly have it in the local space and as we start to emerge out of this time of self-isolation I think a gentler way of being closer to each other and interacting with people outside of our bubbles might be a nice way of reintroducing ourselves to one another. Because one of the things that I think has been quite strong in New Zealand culture is the uh, really awesome gigging scene. But with the new restrictions, people have to be seated. There can't be a mass gathering of more than 100 people indoors or outdoors. And one press gallery journal mentioned something to the Prime Minister about what about dancing? What are the kind of rules if you go to a pub or a club? I think we're going to have to get really good at chair dancing. That's going to become a thing. (laughs) I'll tell you what, I was watching a music video that came out last week and the whole video was basically a crunking dance-off in a club (laughs) and it seemed like such a foreign and nostalgic thing. I was like, people in a club dancing up against each other. You know what? I honestly don't know. I guess we'll have to learn to dance inside ourselves or um, (laughs) practice dancing at home. Two things that concern myself and I guess people in the music community is the viability and sustainability of live venues but also a lot of our local musicians making your livelihood just out of music isn't the way most of most musicians in New Zealand survive they're usually Mm. the people who are builders painters uh, working in landscaping gardening uh, they're working right. in restaurants they're working in bars for our musicians and our music community including the technicians and the producers and the roadies all those people have these other secondary jobs that are also being affected by some of this experience of this pandemic so it's a bit of a double hit there for for our artists I mean, I don't think people are ever going to stop making music. You know, if you are a musical person and a creative person, you're always going to write songs and create beats and and sing and make music. But to make that a sustainable livelihood, I think, has become a lot more challenging 
in this environment as it is for many people in in so many different sectors. Now, a lot of local bands and artists are probably they're likely to be rearing to go once we do get to the level where where they'll be able to perform, for example, a live gig. Do you anticipate a surge in live music launching after the lockdown? I think so, but um, as we've seen with, I guess, takeaways, and as we'll see in the hospitality industry as well, we might get that initial surge and everyone wanting to come out, and then we may see the ebb happen a little bit down the track. You know, in the same way uh, with the coronavirus, we've seen that there's bumps and then troughs. So maybe these activities we're returning to as quote-unquote normal life may also experience that as well. The one great thing about the Aotearoa music industry is that it is so connected. You know, everyone knows each other. So hopefully we will see a lot more collaboration and communication where we're not going to get this immediate surge of, of, of live gigs everywhere. It would be really disappointing to have artists having to play to even emptier venues if, if that happens because, you know, someone else is playing across town. Um, Looking further forward too, I think there's going to be an opportunity if we have this trans-Tasman bubble and hopefully a a Pacific bubble. So that could be a really vibrant touring circuit. You know, once they've played up and down Aotearoa, there may be an opportunity to, to take that show over to Australia. That sounds hopeful and quite a great idea actually. In terms of ways to support local artists. Are there other ways that music fans can support them in the meantime? Absolutely. There is a new campaign that has just been launched, which is called Save Our Venues. A lot of local venues are where our artists um, make those steps towards international careers. A lot of people have cited Marlon Williams, Nadia Reid, Tiny Ruins. Uh, You know, we can even look further back of bands like the Exponents, um, the Black Seed, uh, artists like Dave Dobbin, who've started in live venues and have gone on to be you know, the, the absolutely highest caliber professionals that they are. So these small independent venues across our country are really vital for uh, nurturing our community. You can check that out on hashtag Save Our Venues. Part of that campaign is also to look at a more long-term solution. The viability of live venues, even pre-COVID, was delicate at the best of times and challenging. And we've got a chance here to look at some more long-term solutions of how can we make that that ecosystem stronger and uh, that we can have a vibrant arts and culture community. And another way that you can directly support artists is to buy their merchandise if you have the means purchasing their merch going to sites like Bandcamp which uh, give artists a, a direct fan to artist portal where artists get the revenue from you buying that music whether it's digitally or physically and if you don't have money to spare share your stories share your love of the music the books and the art that you love You know, there's other ways that you can support artists to amplify your love with um, your community um, wider than your bubble of the things that you love so that other people can enjoy the art that, you know, our creative souls are making. Thanks, Yadna. That's all from us this episode. We will be back in your ears tomorrow. Kia maru, kia kaha, mā te wā. 
The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, who will definitely be remembering his mum's birthday this weekend, and also produced by Sonia Sly and Katie Gossett. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley, and the executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere, and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Thank you.